The Old Testament prophets, if we were to go back a few thousand years, said many things about the reign of the coming Messiah, including the vital fact that he would be anointed with the Holy Spirit and that he would pour out the Spirit on all his people. So not surprisingly, when Jesus began his ministry, he deliberately announced himself by quoting from an Old Testament prophet, from Isaiah, which we would see as Isaiah 61, saying this, Jesus stood up in Nazareth, invited to speak on that particular Sabbath day, and began with this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And he wasn't quoting just an interesting fact. Hey, everybody, the Holy Spirit's on me. No, he's making a deliberate announcement. I am the promised Messiah. A little bit later, John then testifies that God had told him, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And at Jesus' baptism, that's exactly what happened. The Gospel writers recall that at Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came and rested and remained on Jesus. Jesus is the one on whom the Spirit rests and remains. And he is the one who will baptize his people with or in the Spirit. So three years later, just at the end of his ministry, before he ascends, Jesus then promises this. With all that background, he then promises this. I am going to send you, he says to his disciples, what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Remember, he's the one on whom the Spirit rests. He's the one who's going to baptize in the Spirit. He's now saying, just before I ascend, wait now, and you will receive this gift of the promised Holy Spirit. He promises them that the power of the Spirit they had witnessed in him would soon be in them. And a few days later, that's exactly what happens. Not surprisingly, what Jesus has promised happens. The day of Pentecost comes. They're gathered. The believers are gathered in an upper room. And what seems to be like tongues of fire, what sounds like a blowing wind, comes upon them, and they are drenched in the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up to the crowds that have gathered outside, and he says to them that Jesus exalted to the Father's right hand, has now poured out what you see and hear. What was prophesied, what was promised, is now being poured out. We have this pattern of prophecy, of promise, of pouring out, and of pattern. 
You see, what was prophesied in the Old Testament and promised by Jesus is now being poured out. And then you turn over the page into the book of Acts, and it gives us the the first few decades, a potted history of the key events in the first few decades of the early church. And we see there from prophecy to promise to pouring out, we see a pattern that the life of God's people is intended to be infused with, drenched with the power of the Holy Spirit. The early disciples have not only come to believe that Jesus is the exalted king, by the Spirit they are experiencing his reign as the exalted king among them. We don't gather this morning only to say there is a king, we gather this morning to say there is a king among us. There is a king in us. There is a king who reigns, not just out there somehow in the universe, but reigns specifically and specially among his people. Are you one of his people? Then he is reigning in you and among us. Wonderful. One of the things that we see in the ministry of Jesus and the life of the early church because the Spirit has been poured out is physical healing. So as part of this year-long series on the kingdom of God and this term's focus on kingdom power, we have this week and next week a focus on healing. This week, a theology of healing. Next week, some more of the practice of praying for healing. I need to say this to you, there is so much more I am not going to be able to say this morning than I can say. I no doubt you'll have a whole bunch of questions. You are very welcome to email me, you're very welcome to come and queue up afterwards and have a chat with questions because there's so much I'm not going to be able to say. Now, by physical healing, I guess what we mean is the removal of disease, of sickness, by the direct intervention of God. Now, God's common grace has given us bodies that mend, to some degree at least, has given medical science, which plays a huge part. By physical healing, I mean the supernatural direct intervention of God on a sickness or a disease. I would say that right here, right there, we have to face our first question. Because I'd suggest to you that not everything that we might have a tendency to see as disease or sickness necessarily is. Perhaps some conditions are merely difference, sometimes complicated difference, but perhaps difference. I might think of some birth conditions that might be considered different rather than sickness or illness. I'm also thinking of a friend of mine from my previous church who was deaf, and he was actually an elder in that church. And his being deaf had complications. And if you're deaf, you might feel like, I would love someone to pray that I can hear again. This particular man had been deaf from birth, and in the end, he was fed up with people who tried to pray for his deafness, 
because he was perfectly at peace about being created in his mother's womb like that. I'm not saying that has to be your position. What I'm saying is we just need to, have to be slightly careful at assuming that everything different is illness or sickness. Now, God heals in the Old Testament. Have you read your Old Testament? No, okay. Please read your Old Testament. Anybody read the Old Testament? It is chock full of God doing supernatural, remarkable things. He heals in the Old Testament. He's known as the one who heals. He even says, I am the Lord who heals you. The psalmist says this, Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. So in the Old Testament, there is a plethora of healing. There's healing from barrenness. There's healing from leprosy. There's raising dead people to life. There's extending the life of someone with a terminal illness. There's sending plagues and then stopping them in response to prayer and sacrifice and so on and so on. There's plenty of healing. And then you turn over to the New Testament and Jesus healed so many people. Now, unless you take the approach of some liberal theologians and say, well, anything miraculous is an invented story, or there's a way of explaining it. Jesus wasn't walking on the water. He was walking on a sandbar, and it looked like they were, he was walking on water. It didn't multiply food into 5,000 men and women and children. What happened was this little boy offered his lunch, and it provoked generosity among the rest of them. I've heard both of those, and there are many others. Unless you take that approach, you have to conclude Jesus was a major miracle worker. And it's interesting that the gospel writers present those miracles, those healings, as fact. They're writing a narrative and they include a healing. It's not like they change genre and start talking about some fantasy in the middle of this narrative. No, they're just writing as they go. One writer said this, nearly one-fifth of the gospel accounts is devoted to Jesus' healing ministry. That's a lot. It should be noted that the attention given to the healing ministry of Jesus is far greater than any one kind of experience recorded, including salvation. It is clearly a feature of his ministry as the promised king authenticating his ministry, his person, as the promised king. Anointed by the Spirit, the kingdom of God is breaking in. And one of the evidences of that is his healing ministry. Let me read you a few examples. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew chapter 8, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. When Peter is speaking about Jesus in the early days of the church, it's interesting that he highlights the healing ministry of Jesus as part of what was authenticating. This is the Messiah. Look what's happened from him and through him. So Acts chapter 2 we read this. Jesus of Nazareth, Peter says, was a man accredited to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You can't deny it. 
Acts chapter 10, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The book of Acts contains many physical healings. Chapter two, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Chapter three, you have the healing of the man lame from birth. Chapter five, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing with them those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits and all of them were healed. Chapter eight, many are healed in Samaria. Chapter 9, two women are healed. Chapter 14, a man lame from birth is healed. Chapter 20, if you think we're in danger of preaching for too long sometimes, you should have been there in Paul's day. Paul is going, the, the text says, he's going on and on. And this guy, Eutychus, who unfortunately is probably sitting on the window ledge or something like that, he falls out because Paul is going on and on, falls out, dies, Paul rushes down, raises him from the dead, physically healed, of course. Chapter 28, the father of a chief official is healed. And then we read this, when this happened, the rest of those on the island who were ill came and were cured. And then, through the 2,000 years of church history that we've had, God has been healing people from physical illness. One writer says, healing is one of the most constant themes in the long and sprawling history of Christianity. And if we were to ask everybody in this room, have you experienced some direct supernatural physical healing from God, or do you know someone who has? Most people in this room would put their hands up. There is no question in my mind from the Bible, from history, and from our experience that God heals physically. There is no justification anywhere in the Bible for thinking that God stopped healing when the apostles died out. The Bible was complete. We don't need anything miraculous anymore. That is a genuine brand of Christian teaching. There is no justification for that. If that's your background, I would just ask you to please open your mind to the possibility that God heals physical illness today. What I want to do then is to encourage us to be on the front foot when it comes to praying for physical healing. I want to encourage those suffering with ill health to reach out to God asking him to heal them. And I want to encourage us all to pray for and pray with others that God will heal them. For some, that's like the most obvious thing you've heard all year. Of course. For others, it's more complicated, as perhaps we'll look at in a moment. Now, so far, so good. So far, so simple. But I... If you're awake, I dare to say that by now, some questions must be arising in your minds. Either theoretical questions. Well, what about this? Or what about that? Or maybe personal questions. 
I've prayed for people and nothing's happened. People have prayed for me. I'm no better. I've heard of great stories. I know a friend who prayed for a friend and blah, blah, blah. They might be very personal, challenging questions. Here are a couple of questions for now. As I said, if you've got other questions, I can't get to them all by any means this morning. Please send me an email if you want. Please feel free to have a conversation afterwards. I've got a couple of questions. They go like this. Number one, is it always, on the background that we've just been talking about, is it always God's will for us to be physically healed? That's a question going around in the Christian world. If you haven't come across it, you will at some point. There are some, popularized by TV platforms, who would argue that it is always, always God's will for us to be physically healed. One famous proponent would, has said this, you don't ever have to deal with sickness or disease again. Your days of sickness and disease are over. You don't ever have to be sick again. God's best for you is to live in divine health every day. Now, the broad basis for that line of Christian thinking is based on the belief that Jesus has already won your healing and every other blessing in his victory over our enemies at the cross. In his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus has defeated all our enemies, including sickness. He has therefore won it. It is there. It is already a done deal. So take hold of what is rightfully yours. That's broadly how it goes. One other famous proponent of that view simply said this, God, the great physician, He's deliberately using these words, has already healed us, by which he means physically. That same teacher, um, interestingly, spoke about people who had entered the room that day to hear him speak and put their confidence in the chairs that had been prepared for them. You came in here and you sat on a chair. It had been prepared for you. You expressed your confidence in what had been prepared, set out for you by sitting on it. And he said this, you took, emphasis on took, you took a seat because it had already been provided. I want you to be able to say, he said, I took healing. Proponents of this view will say, Jesus has already accomplished your healing. Take it like you took a chair. Now, I have to say, I have a lot of admiration for confidence and pressing into God for all that he has done for us. Let me say that. But I believe that that position is to make an error that the Jewish people made in Jesus' day. When Jesus turned up, the Jews were expecting on their understanding of Old Testament prophecy that the kingdom was fully coming now. And so they were very confused by Jesus. It was very clear that the kingdom has come in Jesus, but it has not been consummated. Power has come, but perfection has not come. It's not a matter of will God do it, it was a matter of timing. 
Jesus has come and the kingdom is breaking in, but it doesn't mean that every enemy has been defeated in practice, in experience. It didn't mean the Romans were out of town now. It meant that there was still a lot of complicated journey to travel. Yes, every blessing is secured for us through the victory Jesus achieved in restoring us to God through his life, death, and resurrection. But not everything is received in fullness here and now. So yes, the kingdom of God has come decisively, but our experience of it is what I would call a foretaste, not yet the fullness at least not yet. Think about it like this. Think of your experience of the presence of God, which was one for you at the cross. You are currently experiencing a foretaste of that, not the fullness. Do you know what I mean by that? You sense the presence of God. You know God is with you. But it's a foretaste, a deposit, guaranteeing the fullness that you... Your sense of the presence of God is nothing like what it will one day be. <laughs> Does it mean Jesus hasn't won that for us? No, but we have a foretaste now of the fullness that is yet to come. Think of your experience of victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil, won for you at the cross. Is anybody perfectly experiencing fullness of victory in every one of those areas? No, you're not. I know I can speak for you and for me with no insult intended at all. But we do have a foretaste. Yes, we do have victory. Yes, we are experiencing that, but not yet in fullness. Think of your experience of knowing God. Isn't it amazing to know God? Yeah. It's extraordinary to know God. But let me tell you this. What you know now is but a foretaste of the fullness that you will know, which Jesus has already won for us, but isn't all received now, foretaste now, fullness to come. It's a wonderful fullness, uh, foretaste. It's absolutely glorious. And that goes for healing too. God intervenes in our lives in so many ways. Ways that you know, ways you have no idea that he's intervening in your life. But no, it is not always God's will for us to be physically healed in this life. We are confident in what we are certain of, yes? There are things we know for absolutely darn sure. God is, God loves, Jesus won, the Spirit is here, our future is guaranteed, and we are aware of mystery. If anybody's ever prayed, you must be aware of mystery, certainty, and mystery. Second quick question. So what part does faith play in physical healing? Well, if Jesus has won it all and it's already there for you, faith takes it. So the first question is very important in trying to understand this one. See, I would take issue with the branch of Christian teaching that just mentioned because it makes faith not only important, but decisive. God has healed you. Faith takes it. So what part does faith play 
really in physical healing. I would say, put it this way around, I would say faith is important, but not decisive. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this. It gives us a great definition of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's not a healing verse, but it is a helpful definition because faith believes and faith expects. You know that. Confident trust in Jesus for good reason, which is what faith is, is an important part of of every part of Christian living. So it must be here too. And interestingly, Jesus is quite strong. We haven't got time to mention all the places he spoke about faith and healing, but Jesus is quite strong in encouraging people to have faith in him, to ask boldly. But he's also clear that the amount, if there is such a thing, the amount of faith is not the most important thing. Every now and again, it's encouraging, isn't it, that Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, The smallest imaginable thing. How big is your faith today? Some of you might say massive. Some of you might say absolutely just about there. That's all right. Jesus said that is sufficient faith. And as we'll see in a few weeks when we look at God's power at work in our suffering, and as we see clearly in the New Testament, faith asks God with boldness. Let's be on the front foot. You may have never prayed for healing. Let's get praying. You may have prayed a thousand times for healing. Pray the thousands and first and thousands and second. Let's keep confidently, boldly coming to God with our requests, making them known to him because we know what he's like and we know what he can do. That's what faith does. And faith then rests in God's love and his goodness and his sovereignty. Faith asks and then faith rests. Faith doesn't demand, it asks boldly, confidently, and then it rests in God. There's a very interesting passage in the book of Hebrews where after listing Many Old Testament heroes. This one did that by faith, and this one did this by faith. Extraordinary survey of Old Testament faith. That he then says this, which is very interesting. After a catalogue of extraordinary exploits by faith, he says this. He concludes this. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. If there's an ultimate physical healing, that's it. There were others who were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. Then the next words are massively important because it could up to that point be by faith, Abraham did this. Noah did that. Amazing what they did by faith. And then these poor sorry ones got sawn in two, defeated, failed. Clearly they didn't have any faith. 
but the conclusion is very, very important. These were all commended for their faith. It's not that the first set of heroes were full of faith and therefore succeeded and prospered, while the second set lacked faith and therefore failed and suffered. Rather, these were all commended for their confident trust in God, trusting Him fully and resting in His sovereign outcome. Is faith important in physical healing? Yes, because anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who come to Him. But faith is not determinative. It's not the determining factor as if it were a simple guarantee. If I can have enough faith, I will have physical healing. It just is not as simple as that as the whole Bible will make it clear to you. So what shall we conclude? I want to conclude with this. Let's be on the front foot praying, God, give us more of the not yet in the now. Don't you long for that? We know it's all not yet. Lord, please, we love what we've got. We love the foretaste. Please, more foretaste. And we remember that the power of God's reign is here now as a foretaste, awaiting perfection, awaiting his perfect reign when Jesus returns. See, everybody Jesus healed died. Everybody has non-healing. Everybody healed in the book of Acts got ill again and died. And as much as the New Testament is littered with healing, it is littered with suffering. But the good news is that those followers of Jesus who were healed and those followers of Jesus who were not ultimately healed are in his presence now and will receive physical healing ultimately. Because we're not going to a floaty, weird existence in the clouds. When Jesus returns and recreates everything and brings heaven to earth, you will have a new resurrection body. Physical healing is coming your way one way or another. That is what you've been saved for. That is the goal of our salvation. Praise God for that. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, I won't be too loud, saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them, enjoying his presence. They will be his people and God will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for then the old order of things will have passed away. Physical healing is coming. Let's pray for it now and let's trust God for it later. But let's be on the front foot and say, God, please, more of the foretaste in the now. But we know that fullness and perfection and full physical healing is coming. But maybe like me, you'd like to see some more of it in the now. So why don't we pray? Perhaps we could all stand. If you're able.
front foot, front foot, but with a healthy biblical theology, but front foot. Here's how we pray. More on this from Russ next week. But I basically just got two rules for you this morning that we pray with confident trust. It may be that big, a mustard seed, it might be this big. But whatever your level of confident trust in God, that's what we pray with. And the other way we pray is this, we pray gently. We don't need to shout, we don't need to muster up the most spiritual phrases we can think of or copy what we've heard. God does not need to be persuaded, he knows anyway. He's amazing, he's utterly extraordinary. So maybe you know that you could do with some physical healing. I am really happy that we should pray this morning about that. You may know someone in your family, your friends, your neighbours, your work colleagues, who is really ill, just needs a touch of God in terms of physical healing. I'd be really happy that we pray as well just now. I'm not gonna call anyone forward because I suspect everybody has either got an illness or knows someone who has. So that would be a squash. We can do this where you are. So maybe you, you can do what you like. Stand on your head if you want, it doesn't matter. I find holding my hands out just makes me not closed, but that's not a rule. Not, <laughs> you don't have to. I would just say, God, you are amazing. Isn't he amazing? God, you are amazing. We thank you for every divine, supernatural intervention that you have done in our lives and the lives of those we love, some of which we have no idea about. You just do them. And Lord, right now, trusting your goodness, trusting your love, trusting your sovereignty. In fact, we pray because you are sovereign, otherwise we wouldn't bother. Because you are sovereign, we come and say, Lord, please, will you physically heal? We're not trying to muster anything up. It's not in the size of our faith, but the size of our God. So with the small or big faith we have, we say, Lord, please, Will you move upon us and move in us? Because the Spirit has been poured out. And we say, Lord, come and make right what is wrong, please. Now, where you are, just ask Him. Keep it very simple. Just ask Him. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit of God who is right here, come and fall on us, we pray.